This episode of Tessa's Island Discs is sponsored by Provar. Provar is the leading expert in Salesforce testing focused on accelerating innovation within the Salesforce ecosystem. They provide a robust test automation solution and deep Salesforce expertise to help you deliver scalable and repeatable tests to enhance release agility and maximize your Salesforce investment. To learn more, visit provartesting.com or click the link in the episode description. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. and welcome to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where today my special guest on the desert island is Thomas Rinka. Thomas is a software engineer who specializes in testing, who works for ISTA International in Essen, Germany. Previously to that, he's worked as a research assistant in the area of risk-based testing. He's also worked as a professional services consultant and trainer. You might know him as a conference attendee, speaker, and organizer. He's somewhat of a linchpin in the test community where you'll see him online, particularly on Twitter, sharing content and elevating the voices of new testers. Welcome onto the podcast, Thomas. Hi, Leo. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. And, uh, at the top, we should address, we don't have a lot of football-related chat on the podcast, but it would be remiss of me to not mention that we've just had a big England versus Germany international match, and it's the very rare occurrence of an England victory, which is as, as much a surprise to me as anybody. Yeah, it was uh, quite a surprise, but however, uh, probably well-deserved, and uh, you won the next match as well, and I think you've also done some kind of uh, rescheduling of events for the Ministry of Testing, um, so congratulations on advancing <laughs> to the semifinals and uh, keeping my fingers crossed for the rest of the tournament, although Denmark is also with uh, me in my heart. Yeah, uh, th- we're obviously we're, we are recording before the semi-finals. I, if I was clever, what I would do here is I would record. There are only three possible outcomes from here. We could either lose the semi-final, or lose the final, or win the final. And I could record all three and say, "Hey, didn't we do?" You know, I, I think the smart money is on England to win the semi-final against Denmark, but we would be playing Spain or Italy in the final, both of whom are, have championship-winning histories. Whereas England, we've only ever won the nineteen sixty-six World Cup final. I, I think it might be just too much for this team to win the final, but getting there would be an achievement. And uh, the, the, the tournament we've had so far, and particularly with Denmark having the, the tournament they've had, um, anything could happen. I, I really wouldn't want to predict it. And uh, I can remember the losing to Denmark in the finals of 1992. So, um, yeah, they are probably uh, difficult to uh, to play and uh, some kind of surprising. Yeah, I look forward to it. I've had to have some changes in my work as well. We were due to have a, a Wednesday night production release this week, but that hmm. also clashes with the football. And, you know, depending on how that goes, I don't think people will be in the right mind to do a release. So that's that's not happening. But uh, let, let, let's get back to talking about why we're here. Um, we're going to obviously talk about Thomas the Tester a lot on this podcast. That's why you're here. I'm a little bit curious about what Thomas the Music fan is like. How much has, has music played a role in your life growing up? Well, uh, I think I listen to music uh, since I can can think. Uh, so my, I have a uh, a brother who is four years older, and so I was in contact with music maybe a bit more than than other people in my age. And uh, my parents listen to music as well, so um, I was yeah really listening to music 
for a very, very long time and uh, listening to different kinds of music. And it's it's always been uh, a pleasure to listen to music. And uh, yeah, there are so many songs that are so brilliant and it was really difficult to narrow it down to five. And uh, so, but I brought some hopefully interesting songs with me and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to uh, share some of the music I listen to. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to sharing your songs with people. Obviously, I know what they are, and there are some choice classics in there. Really weirdly, actually, uh, quite a lot of the music that I listen to right now is German pop radio. I've really got into listening to a radio station called SVR 3. It's SWR3 for the English translation. I got into the station at the start of 2020 when basically the, listening to the, the UK news around the start of coronavirus and as everything was breaking out, it was it was very depressing to listen to. Whereas I found that if, if I put German radio on, I got much the same music mix, but I couldn't understand the news so much. And it was it was just I found it a lot less anxiety inducing. And um, SVA Drive is really good in that it, it plays a mix of, you know, the, the UK and European hits, but it has a strong focus on also playing German music. And, and there's a, actually quite a lot of the music that I listen to right now are German acts. Yeah, it's a wonderful station. Um, not really the station uh, that is uh, listened to in North Rhine-Westphalia, but it's close to the to the south of North Rhine-Westphalia. So uh, when you go, go to the south, probably it's uh, one of the stations you will listen to in the car. And of course, uh, there are other ways of uh, listening to the station as well. Yeah, I've installed a specific uh, app on Alexa to allow her to actually play it um, because, uh, yeah, she's, she's very choosy about what she plays. Music for some people can be a major aid to them focusing, but for some people it can be a distraction. When you're actually doing testing, do, do you tend to like listening to music or do you need more more focus than that? So I would say I never listen to music while I'm working. Yeah? So when I want to listen to music, I listen to music. When I want to work, I want to work. And so it's kind of separated. So I mostly listen to music when I'm in the car, when I'm going for a walk uh, sometimes. And it's uh, yeah, not that I listen to uh, music while I'm working or while I'm doing anything else, basically. Yeah. So it's really focused listening mostly. Of course, sometimes music is in the background, but uh, still it's nothing where I need to concentrate uh, yeah. when I listen to music. Okay, well, it's time now to bring that music into focus. Uh, you've been allowed to bring five songs onto the Testers Desert Island with you, which best represent what music means to you. What's the first song you chose today, Thomas? So uh, the songs that I chose are uh, some kind of in a chronological order. So uh, based on the time when they become really relevant to me. So the songs may be older sometimes, but uh, played a role uh, quite recently. So uh, the first song probably is the uh, changing song for my music taste. Um, and it goes back to the year 1990, I guess. And it's uh, Poison by Alice Cooper. So the story behind the song is that uh, our closest friends uh, moved away some uh, 100 kilometers. And uh, so we didn't see them as much as we used to. And when... Uh, we visited them the next time. Um, my my best friend uh, had this album Alice Cooper Trash on his wish list. And so my mother bought this for him. And the album stood in our living room. And I saw this um, yeah, weird-looking man, um, half with a shirt, uh, half skull, half flesh, um, makeup on, leather jacket, looking down. And it was some kind of disturbing for me. And then we uh, went on the next visit uh, to them. And 
I listened to this album over and over again without knowing. Uh, so I asked, well, what's this uh, music? And he said, well, it's Alice Cooper. And I was really astonished. And I really got into this album, which is uh, one of the um, my favorite albums of all time, I would say, because it changed so much in my music taste and, and opened up uh, the, the interest in other rock bands. And yeah, Poison is the opening track of this album, and it uh, changed my music. That was the incomparable sound of Alice Cooper with Poison. So, Thomas, let's start at the beginning. Can you explain to me how you first found your way into testing? So, actually, um, my way into testing was quite straightforward, unlike the way of uh, so many other testers. So I studied business information systems. And during this time, I worked as a um, student researcher. So uh, I, this uh, professor was focused on requirements engineering and testing. And so the contract to testing was already given. And then I did an internship uh, in the healthcare domain, uh, also uh, focusing on testing. And I wrote some kind of testing tool uh, to provide a certain uh, coverage on uh, during my uh, diploma thesis. And from there, yes, yeah, started to work as a research assistant. And after two years, decided that probably uh, I will not do my PhD. And uh, yeah, I went to be a consultant in a software consultancy. And this is where I learned a bit more about the practical approach of testing. And uh, I became trainer for the ISTKB foundation level and uh, was this pre-sales consultant. Um, yeah, supporting a test management tool and test automation framework. And it was a wonderful time to really get to know yeah, different clients with different ways to testing. And it was a really good t- start to, yeah, to getting some kind of picture about testing. That does sound like a, a very focused, very deliberate approach to testing, uh, as opposed to, as you, as you say, many other people who say, including myself, say they, they fell into testing or, you know, they suddenly discovered it was the right thing for them. But uh, it sounds like you've gone at it uh, like a bullet. Uh, whereabouts on that journey did you discover, um, because obviously you're, you're very now involved with the online testing community and, and with the Ministry of Testing. When did you first discover that there was a testing community out there? Well, actually, uh, while I was this uh, pre-sales consultant, uh, I was at some conferences, mainly the ones organized by this consultancy. Um, and I discovered the Ministry of Testing way too late, I would say. Um, so uh, I knew a German um, community quite a long time, but it was, well, I would say very traditional um, in their approach and in their uh, view on testing. And so I first recognized the Ministry of Testing uh, with the with the club, and I didn't get an idea about what a brilliant community this is. And actually, I think my love for the Ministry of Testing really was ignited when I visited my first test bash, which was Test Bash in the Netherlands 2018, where I came back from this conference with a smile all over my face <laughs> and uh, in my wife wondering whether I smoked funny things. But uh, no, it was just a wonderful... Uh, conference experience 
Yeah, I've been to my fair share of conferences across different communities, and I think it's fair to describe Ministry of Testing as incomparable. I mean, they are not only putting on great events that are really focused on giving the attendees uh, the best experience possible, but they are constantly innovating as well. Uh, Richard Bradshaw has just published um, some guidelines uh, today at the time of recording of, of what he thinks the future of Test Bash in 2022 is going to be like. Um, I will link out to that. There'll be that'll be in written form at some point, so I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but he's looking at really f- flipping the conference experience on the head, so that you get the maximum benefit of that time being amongst other testers, rather than as he's put it, um, we spend so much time at conferences, kind of being forced to sit in silence because you know we think that we are there to listen to talks. But there's other ways you can consume talks, and the valuable stuff is. Not that the talks aren't valuable, but the really valuable thing is the the conversation and the energy that you get from discussions with other testers. And I, I cannot wait to be to be back in the room with people. Uh, fingers crossed at the start of of twenty twenty two. You're absolutely right, and yeah, I'm really curious about uh, reading this uh, announcement. How this will look like. So as you progress through your career, obviously you have also gained uh, seniority along the way as well. You you progress to becoming a, a team manager. Uh, one of the challenges of becoming a manager is is the challenge of, sort of stepping away from the everyday testing and having the the view of that bigger picture. Did you find that was the case for yourself? Yeah, it was difficult uh, because this team manager role also meant I was part time tester as well. So it was difficult to find the balance on uh, developing others and uh, setting some guidelines and building up new approaches, um, yeah, building up a remote test center in India and uh, also doing some uh, hands-on testing as well. And this was a difficult experience and um, it was a wonderful experience, yeah, especially working, for example, with the people from India uh, and, and having the first management role. Um, on the other hand, it was really difficult and uh, some kind of uh, difficult to navigate um, this this balance between hands-on testing and uh, building the internal community also with external employees. Um, so it was um, difficult, yeah. This sounds like it really echoes my recent experience as well. I became test lead uh, at the end of last year. Uh, and I said, uh, I, with that came things like line management responsibility. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this role. But what I don't want it to be is my old role plus a whole lot of other things. You know, I need to, to pivot towards this new role so I can focus on this. Uh, and it turns out that... Uh, that was ex- exactly what was expected of me was to, to do what I was doing before and a load of other things in time that I didn't have. And that, that was very challenging for me. Yeah, and it's difficult. There's so many things that aren't actually related to testing. It's uh, some kind of a project management and getting the numbers right and uh, having the, the money available for the external employees and so on mm-hmm. and reporting of how much money has been spent. And so it was uh, lots of work. I, I was happy to... Um, forget about when I changed back to becoming a full-time tester. Yeah, I think this is a trap that a lot of testers seem to fall into because testing is very much an information gathering business. Testers tend to become known as the people who who have the answers to things. So tasks that wouldn't necessarily become part of the tester's day job tend to gravitate towards testers. I, I find um, it, it's a blessing and a curse that, that we are so valued sometimes. Definitely. So as you say, you switched back to being a full-time tester as ISTA went through their major agile transformation process. What was it like taking, I don't want to call it a step down, but you know, people think that you, know, you should be working your career up and going to become a manager and that's the pinnacle. And now you came back to being a full-time tester. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was a relief to a certain extent, I would say. And the wonderful thing about this was that um, it's 
um, it wasn't a, a step back. Yeah, so uh, knowing the grades and in, uh, all the career levels in which we navigated, I knew that this uh, role that I stepped uh, in was on the same level as uh, my management role. So it was uh, a perfectly valid opportunity for me. And it was me bringing this up because um, yeah, in this agile transformation, uh, we brought the test team or the, the former test team into the engineering teams. And so there was not much left of a test team for me to manage. And uh, there was uh, in the safe context, which we uh, chose, there's a, a system team where there were some testers left, but I thought, well, for just a handful of testers, it doesn't uh, require a test manager or a team manager. So um, yeah, I was happy to, to ask, well, whether we could um, rearrange my role in the company to becoming a full-time tester and which, well, that was happily accepted. And my, my manager at this time said, well, I'm so happy that you asked for this because I had the same on my mind, but I didn't know how to address it. <laughs> and so very much about um, careers in IT and in, in testing as well is so much focus on, on progress and having a, a, a wonderful title and, and so on. But actually, for me, it's much more important to have work that I like and to uh, have the feeling that I'm valued and that I deliver value. Yeah, it's it's all about the value you bring and, and uh, yeah, the, the passion that that gives you as well. We, we will talk more in the next section about um, what that switch was like and about some of the challenges you faced along the way after we've heard about your second song choice today. So the second song is Mr. Jones by The Counting Crows. And this is the song that my wife and I chose as our song. So it goes back to the year 2001 where I met my wife in a club and uh, I guess we danced to a lot of different songs and sometime in the early morning she told me she had to go and I think it was one of the rare times that I actually asked someone for her number and it was at the time when you didn't carry your mobile phone with you all the time so I had to grab some pen and paper from the club and ask her for her number and uh, the next week we went on another date and after being to the cinema we uh, went to this club again and we danced again, probably the whole night, and then probably a few days later decided on which would be our song. And this was uh, Mr. Jones by The Counting Crows. So That was Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. We were talking in the previous section about um, how you can best shape your teams to to ensure quality. And one of the things we talk about uh, throughout testing is the idea of something like whole team quality. So the idea that everybody in the team is responsible for quality, uh, and that is we try to avoid it being just a slogan. And we want it to be that that's how people work. Now, obviously, it's it's very clear what the benefits are to testers in that scenario because you know we, we don't want testers to be the, the gatekeepers or the only people who are thinking about this. But people in other disciplines, effectively, they have their own work to do. How, how do you convince, for example, like developers that the idea of whole team quality is good for them as well? Well, 
actually, um, I've never worked in a traditional agile team, but what I hear from other testers, and uh, so it's some kind of my experience as well in the company, is that, of course, the development team as a whole has some kind of interest in uh, finishing stories and delivering value. Yeah, so I'm very happy that many people at our company do not think in yeah, different um, tasks for developers and testers um, and saying, okay, um, if you're on holiday, then um, this story will just be in, in, in testing. And they have the, um, the need and the desire to finish uh, stories. So it's uh, clear that they also support testing. Um, of course, it's good to have testers on the team and uh, also testing specialists who um, provide some kind of uh, up-to-date knowledge and uh, new approaches. Um, but many teams realize that they have to work together as a team to deliver value to the customer. Yeah, from my experience, I think once the team gets to whole team quality, it's, it's a really good position to be in. But sometimes there are challenges in getting there. And with developers, I've found one of the big things I've had to change is is their idea of what it means for a story to be done. I've certainly worked with developers for whom once their code is committed or it's been merged, they consider that to be done as far as, as they're concerned. But the, the whole the whole team thing is actually, it is not done until we've got it across the board and it has been uh, tested. So um, I think helping developers to understand that has been useful. Um, you've mentioned that at Tista, you've been working in a, a safe context. How, how has does maybe your approach to quality differ in the, within the safe framework? Well, I guess the, the basic idea is quite the same. You need, to, um, you need to work together as a team. But in this case, the team some kind of looks differently. Yeah? So I remember watching, I think, a webinar by Janet Gregory uh, when she was talking about whole team's quality. And I was so reminded uh, about her situation in this team, about my situation working in the system team, where it felt like, okay, teams are not really working in a coordinated way. And I thought about well, how can I use this approach to my testing and to my context? Uh, and I thought, well, if I'm the tester, so, so to say, and I experience what other testers in the team experience, probably the um, PO is represented by the IT product manager taking care of the overall functionality. And the developers, some kind of are reflected in the different teams developing uh, different applications uh, which need to fit together. And so I think using this approach, you can actually wonderfully um, use whole team quality and uh, ideas of refinement as a team to um, align on what it is actually that needs to be built. And currently, we're having a look at BDD and the ideas of BDD for, in the first step, creating alignment. Um, so we uh, already did some research on content and had a working group um, think about how to apply BDD at ISTA in the um, system team together with the different teams. And a colleague actually had some kind of a, a first session, uh, I think two weeks ago, and he came back smiling all over his face because it was such a wonderful session. And people said, well, this is actually the missing piece in the, the missing puzzle piece in our development approach where we go beyond the current refinement and think about, okay, what are the precise scenarios that we want to support? Yeah, and he was so happy coming back with this feedback. And this confirms that uh, we actually 
yeah, want to have a closer look at BDD because probably we didn't understand it correctly or it's di more difficult to apply than we think. And especially um, this yeah, whole team approach, everyone working together at the same time to refine this is something that uh, needs to be still a bit more improved uh, to really get the benefit out of it. And then probably later on thinking about automation as well, although yeah, for us, the most important part is the alignment at first. As with a lot of frameworks, I think, yeah, it comes down to two key things. And that is communication and um, using that communication to achieve a shared understanding. And BDD is, is one of those things that can really help towards that because you really codify what the shared understanding is. You set it out in terms of these example scenarios and say, actually, here is what we believe uh, we want it to do. Uh, so BDD, I mean, it's it's not for everybody, but it can work for some. Um on the communication side, obviously, we've, we've had a tough 12 to 18 months of not being able to communicate as easily or certainly not face to face as much as we've liked to. How, how has your uh, remote working experience um, maybe affected um, some of these plans that your team has had? Um, yes, of course. Uh, being uh, working remotely uh, from one day to the other uh, was quite a surprise. And um, I'm happy that we had quite a good um, infrastructure team setting up uh, remote access. Um, so we were able to communicate um, in a good way. Uh, however, of course, things are, are missing. Yeah? And um, as I said, I don't listen to music uh, while I'm working, especially not in the office, because I'm really happy to yeah, get an idea of what is going on. I want to be involved in the discussions at the next desk. And probably I can, I can just throw in a thought that might be helpful so and this of course has not been possible in the last uh, months so uh, yeah it was more difficult especially having this informal uh, chat was uh, missing and not knowing what the other teammates actually experienced we uh, worked a bit around this by offering a virtual coffee every morning um, and of course um, not everyone joined, so there, there were some people where actually had a good understanding of how the day looked like and uh, what their struggles are, which, uh, of course, there were others uh, who didn't join that often, where it was quite difficult to understand their, their context when they said something, because normally you just uh, hear when they um, experience some, some troubles and have a question, and you can just have a coffee with them and, and talk about this and, and get better understanding and probably ask questions about this and help them um, yeah, solve their issues. But this was uh, much more difficult uh, working remotely. Yeah, I, th I think these these overheard conversations are one thing that I really, really miss out on. Um, now, you can still have those remotely. You know, for example, if you have a very active Slack channel or whatever service you use, um, then you can still sometimes, you know, pick up on those things. I find it really hard if I have a, a day off work and I, I get an email that, that suggests that something is going wrong and I log on to our, uh, well, we use Teams, but I, I log on and I don't see any chat at all. And I'm like, well, it's the conversation not happening, uh, but actually often what's happening is someone has started a, a DM with someone and they've, they're directly messaging. And it's like, well, hmm. in that case, we don't get the chance to overhear. We don't get the chance to know something's going on. And I wish people were doing more more DMs in public effectively. If, if they don't need to be a DM, it shouldn't be one. Uh, in, in, in the, you know, if you're in the office, you wouldn't go and whisper in someone's ear. Uh, I, I think you need to think of, of DMs as like that. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. On the other hand, uh, we get so many emails and so many notifications, it's difficult yeah. to, to stay focused and to find out which is the conversation that actually is relevant for me because 
yeah, the spoken word is so much more important uh, and has so much more meaning than the written word. And so it's difficult to to navigate this new situation, definitely. Well, by the time this episode goes out, I will have started my new job with Postman. And that's going to be particularly interesting in this area because we have not just a team in the UK, but the major teams are in India and in San Francisco. So working asynchronously across you know, three different time zones, at least, it's going to be a, a real challenge to see how, how that team works. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, to learning more about that. But uh, enough about me. We're halfway through the podcast. And Thomas, it's time to hear your third song choice, please. So my third, my third song is The Living Daylights by AHA, and it goes back to uh, 2010, I guess. So I um, know AHA since uh, year, years. I think um, Hunting High and Low was probably the first album that I uh, really listened to and knowing what, a, what an album is. And um, so all their, their other albums also played some kind of role in my, uh, in my life. I remember uh, being in secondary school when Crying in the Rain came out and they played it on German television and I was really into the song as well. And then years later, there was this uh, Minor Earth Major Sky album, which was also wonderful and uh, brought them back into my mind. And then in 2010, I heard about their final tour and I didn't have a ticket yet. And so I decided, okay, this is a childhood dream. I actually want to see AHA live. And uh, I bought a ticket on eBay. And I bought this uh, on the uh, uh, on a Monday morning, early Monday morning uh, at uh, Essen Hauptbahnhof, uh, Essen Main Station, uh, using a mobile um, internet uh, connection <laughs> on my work uh, computer, sitting there on the on this uh, station. And actually uh, getting this this ticket for this concert in Berlin, and I went there uh, to this concert, and it was a wonderful experience. I was, I think, it's the first time I remember crying at a concert because I was so happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I chose the Living Daylights uh, from one of the later albums because it was one of the last songs, and the whole audience was singing along, and it felt like. We were singing along for for hours, and it was just a wonderful experience being in this crowd and having this childhood dream fulfilled. That was Aha with The Living Daylight, which I believe is the first James Bond theme also to feature on the podcast. I certainly have been in the room when a uh, good friend and test colleague Dan Billing has sung that at karaoke. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't. Uh, I'm sure Dan will be his own judge of his own karaoke uh, abilities, but uh, he's a uh, he knows a Bond theme. Let's say that much. <laughs> But we're obviously here to talk about testing today. And one of the themes that's come around a lot in recent episodes has been the idea of exploratory testing. Obviously, we had the Ministry of Testing Exploratory Testing Week. But what is it that makes you so passionate about exploratory testing, Thomas? So I think it's uh, two things. On the one hand, I had a very passionate teacher uh, who was Alex Schladerbeck. So I organized an internal workshop with Alex Schladerbeck, uh, who I met at a conference some years ago. 
And we wanted to learn more about exploratory testing and uh, get some experts' uh, views on this. And so I asked Alex to uh, do this training for us, and it was a really wonderful workshop. And if you listen to Alex uh, talk about exploratory testing, we'll probably come across uh, her views on this workshop as well, uh, because of these microheuristics to a certain extent uh, also um, were uh, founded in this workshop. And also you will recognize the, the Pelicans, which was another different um, experience she had during this workshop. And I'm so happy that this workshop not only had some kind of impact on us, uh, but also on, on her. And since then, I'm, I'm really passionate about exploratory testing, especially with this approach of discovering the unknown unknowns. Yeah? So with scripted testing, it's easy to focus on, on confirming what you think is right. But I really like about exploratory testing to learn about the system, to learn about the software, and to realize situations where you say, well, I'm not sure, is this fine or is this a problem? Yeah, And you need to think about what is it that you actually expect. And this is something that is some kind of a different approach to testing, which is so valuable. So however, I've not come up with a clear definition of what is exploratory testing because it's uh, difficult to, to recognize and it's difficult where does you know, difficult to say where does exploratory testing start and where does it end. So uh, for me, it's more like a mindset. And although you're probably using uh, test cases and um, detailed test cases, with the right mindset, you still have some exploration uh, while executing those test cases. And uh, so it's not a clear distinction for me yet. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I, I For example, I know that uh, James Back and Michael Bolton have tried to reclassify it and say, well, all, all tests is exploratory. Why don't we just drop the word exploratory? Um, I, I think it can, it can be helpful to explain the nature of what it is. But as you say, it's so all pervasive that it, it's sometimes hard to, to, to quantify exactly what it is. Uh, but um, thank you very much for giving a, a shout out to Alex as well. Alex actually was the, the guest on episode one of Tessa's Island Discs some nearly, is it four years ago? I think it's been four years now. Uh, I'm looking forward, obviously we're looking forward to having many more guests on in the future, but I, I've got the idea of, you know, it's been 50 episodes now. Maybe it's time to have some of these guests back on again, let them have a second <laughs> a second shot to pick five more songs and, and to have a chat again, because uh, Alex is one of these people I would love to talk to again and catch up on uh, on where her career has taken her. Um, one of the places your career has taken you recently, this, that's a neat segue, is the, the Ministry of Testing Exploratory Testing Week that I mentioned. And you were involved in one of the uh, experience reports. Um, you took on one of the challenges that were set by Mark Wintringham. Uh, can you tell us which one it was and what uh, attracted you to it? So the challenge officially was labeled exploratory testing a product. And basically I participated because uh, Richard was uh, asking for another report because they um, had room for one more. And originally I didn't sign up because uh, of time conflicts, uh, but now that the experience reports were held in the evening, uh, I was fine uh, preparing a report and presenting this. So I, I really like you know, taking on uh, challenges um, sometimes. Yeah? I don't do this as often as it would be uh, useful, but uh, yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity. And the challenge was about testing a product on the one hand without, and then again with a certain set of heuristics and mnemonics. So, uh, and then report on the uh, different experiences and the learnings you took from this. And this was such a wonderful experience um, doing hands-on testing on a single product. Uh, so it was a 
wonderful practice because in my uh, safe context, I typically focus on um, end-to-end tests covering different applications. And this sometimes feels difficult to explore because my main focus is the interaction throughout a, a longer process. Yeah? So many things uh, where I find it quite quite useful and probably a bit easier to explore uh, on a single system, uh, I don't do that often. Yeah? So it was a wonderful opportunity to get a new perspective on exploratory testing. And it was a huge learning event for me. And uh, mm-hmm. presenting this report also was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, speaking of, of reports, one of the challenges with exploratory testing is working out how to capture your notes and you know for, for what context you want to capture them. Um, knowing that you were going to be presenting these back uh, online and you were going to give a, a, a live demonstration of, of what you'd learned, did that help to guide you into which format you used for your reporting and note-taking? Um, I think it's it wasn't influenced that much because typically I like to use mind maps to uh, report on my exploratory testing um, because I like to restructure my mind maps. Uh, so it's easy to have just a, a very brief uh, documentation and uh, not to fall into the trap of writing down long sentences. And uh, you can add uh, screenshots and documents to the mind maps as well. So. This is, for me, some kind of of natural way of of doing my exploratory testing. And if you have a look at the experience report, uh, you will see the original version uh, that I ended up with after the session directly. And then an updated version where you can see what kind of restriction I mean. So um, I know that people in the community also like this um, start-to-end documentation. Well, then I did this and then I did this. For me, I find that I sometimes have an idea later on when I think, oh, this fits better into the topic I had in the beginning. And then I can easily rearrange it and and report on the different topics and different areas uh, that I tested than uh, going uh, from start to end. So this is my natural way of of doing test reporting. Yeah, I love a good mind map. Uh, I'm actually about to go onto somebody else's podcast in a few weeks, and I, I've done a load of prep for them about me on their behalf, and I did that by capturing it in a mind map form. And before I realized it, I'd got a mind map with 300 nodes on it. <laughs> well, we could talk about any of these things, <laughs> and I assume they're going to pick a few of them, otherwise the, the podcast would be very long. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, I find mind map is very good for, as you say, sort of non-linear and allowing you to to dive into an area and then step away from it and maybe go back later. And then it gives you a a different flavor of reports, but uh, Mm. I'll put a link to your experience report in the show notes and also a link to some resources about how to learn more about mind maps. There are loads of those resources available on the ministry of testing website. So yeah, mind maps are a wonderful uh, topic and um, I'm really looking forward to a 99 minute workshop uh, with uh, Lena Wieberg on speed testing using mind maps. And I'm pretty sure I will learn something more about how to use mind maps in my testing. And if you're lucky, uh, this workshop will be held uh, after the time this uh, comes out. And I'm sure uh, you will find it on the Ministry of Testing website. Fantastic. Again, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to anything past, present or future on that front. In the meantime, as we head towards the end of our discussion today, it's time for your fourth song choice, Thomas. So the fourth song is probably not very typical for me. It's a series by the Alan Parsons Project. And uh, you might know the song as the Chicago Bulls, uh, Chicago Bulls theme song. So it uh, takes me back to the year 2013, where I ran my first marathon in Berlin. Uh, in Berlin. Uh, 
And this was the song they played right before the start. So I was standing there with about 40,000 people in front of the uh, start line. And I was getting ready for the race and this uh, theme uh, started to play. And I knew, well, this is the time. Uh, this is the moment that I have been training for for a long time. It was such a wonderful atmosphere standing there in this crowd and uh, knowing, okay, this is now uh, the race. And it was such a wonderful experience running those uh, 42 kilometers and uh, then seeing the, the Brandenburg Gate coming up uh, as close to the finish line. Again, being overwhelmed by feelings, just uh, enjoying the race, enjoying the the crowd cheering you up. And so there's lots of good memories attached to this song and it helps me push forward. And actually, it's my uh, current ringtone for, I don't know, yeah, more or less eight years now. That was the inspiring sounds of Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project. Now, Thomas, at the start, I talked about uh, the fact that you promote a lot of people's content online. You're very, very good at, at sort of boosting that signal, particularly uh, among voices that maybe aren't heard otherwise. And there is a real importance in spreading the idea of, of diversity in testing in terms of the, the types of voices that we hear. Is that something that you're going out of your way to do or is that just uh, part of uh, part of sharing content? Well, I strongly believe that uh, IT needs diversity, and uh, typically this means that we need more diversity. So I'm I'm really happy that uh, other guests of the podcast already brought this up. Uh, Think about uh, Lina Zubait, for example, and I think uh, it was also a topic with Kim Knup. There are so many uh, examples of software failing when they're used in a context or by a group that it was not designed for and it was not developed by. So we can just benefit from this diversity. And uh, this means for me, for example, that uh, I decided to uh, have a look for new voices and to have a look for uh, women who contribute and uh, support their voices and um, make sure that they are heard. And this is something that is quite easy online, and uh, but it also needs to be done in, in real life as well. And certainly online, I'm very grateful for what you do. I am someone who has quite openly in the past said that I've I've struggled with Twitter in that there's a lot of negative influences out there on Twitter that I try to stay clear of. And it's really valuable to have someone like you who is, as I say, boosting that message of, you know, here are valuable people that you need to hear from. Um, going back to, to Lena's episode that you mentioned, which had some really very useful resources on that. Um, anyone who was interested in what Lena was talking about, there's a, a very interesting documentary that's just come out on Netflix, which is kind of a, a primer on this subject that you talked about. And the documentary is called Coded Bias. And it steps into, it's kind of a, a primer on um, all these ways of which, for example, AIs are trained badly against white male data sets. Um, it's uh, for, for sure, the stuff that Lena got into is a lot deeper. But if it's an area you're completely new to, I could really recommend that documentary. It sometimes veers a bit too much into the idea of surveillance culture, which does have some overlap because yeah, if you're surveilling based on invalid data, um, that can create problems as well. But um, yeah, it's really valuable that we can uh, can hear these things. 
but for as much as it's relatively easy for us to to spread this message online, you know, it's 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 just the case of doing a retweet. It's sometimes harder to do this uh, to promote voices in the workplace where maybe these uh, communities aren't as built up or uh, it's not as easy to surface these voices. How do you think we can help to participate in spreading diversity in our own organizations? Well, I think it's a thing of yeah, wanting to care for diversity. So this is the first step. Yeah, You need to realize, I think it's important that we have diversity. Uh, so it's important uh, for everyone involved, I guess. And so you then can think about uh, observing more closely and, and listening to stories of other people. And uh, one thing that I can absolutely recommend is uh, to follow uh, Better Allies on, on Twitter because they share some useful tips uh, of what you can do. And uh, they illustrate examples of um, things that are not okay. And there was a wonderful podcast I listened to uh, last week, I guess, where some women uh, talked about uh, harassment in, in the workplace and at conferences. And um, also the, the little things that are happening to women more often than, than to men. Uh, having these terms of mansplaining, heat-peating, yeah? and, or thinking about that um, women in some cases uh, are, yeah, or that titles um, of, of women are skipped more often than they are skipped for men. So it's astonishing to imagine what women have to go through in IT, especially if I think about uh, what um, drives me crazy when people tell me something. Yeah? And uh, I'm, I'm white, I'm, I'm middle-aged, I'm, I'm cis, I'm hetero, I'm male. Um, there are so many things that some minorities will have to go through. Yeah? And so what you can do is um, listen, observe, and speak up, probably this is the most important part, that you take a decision and say, well, I don't want to tolerate this here, and you address this. And there are different ways of addressing this. Um, you, can, you can find your own way, but just saying, I don't think this is okay, yeah, or I are saying, um, we don't do this here, or, or that was not funny, are pretty good ways of, of making people aware about the, the situation. Yeah, for as much as people like you and I can avoid the brunt of, of the problems uh, of, the, of discrimination that are faced in the workplace uh, because of our, let's let's face it, privileged backgrounds, we do certainly still have a role to play. I'm very aware of, I, I've also seen the opposite problem where, for example, if you have a one particular person of color in the team, they are seen as the person that you go to for diversity issues. And that's also not right. That's that's double discrimination. You know, they are allowed to, to live their lives and do their job without being the person who also has to be responsible for, for getting the company's diversity bias right. And so I, I think we do have to step up and say, actually, it's on all of us. And um, that can be little things. Uh, I've done quite a lot of hiring recently for the company that I'm, I'm currently leaving. Uh, and one of the things we, we've done a real recruitment drive to make sure that when people are being interviewed, they see someone who uh, who sort of re reflects back at them, you know. So they, if if it's if we're interviewing a woman, then they get the chance to see some women that work for us along the way, because the last thing they need to, to do is to see, you know, just a panel of men uh, and so on. So I think we, we all have have little parts to play, and uh, yeah, 
the situation is improving. I think you know, you know I'm not even going to say that. I can't, I, I, I can't make any any claims to that. Uh, and you, we could leave that in when editing because that was that was me yeah. about to make a massive assumption. And you know what? I'm not going to make that assumption. Um, Probably a good choice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, one one of the things I mean, yeah, we've talked about elevating voices online, and one of the ways that we do that these days is through the Tester of the Day initiative. I've described you in my notes as the Tester of the Day nominations king. I certainly see your name come up as a nominee on many occasions. Um, what is it that really drives you to participate in this uh, award scheme? So, Tester of the Day is a wonderful initiative by the Full Snack Tester Ben Down, and I know that it's wonderful to hear positive feedback. Yeah? And this test of the day is some kind of an easy way of giving positive feedback and, and saying someone, well, you did something good for me. You helped me understand a certain context, uh, concept. You helped me um, get a new perspective. And I enjoyed your conference talk. You put out a wonderful tweet that helped me get some wonderful um, resources on the topic that I'm looking into. So it's really much about the the smaller things. Yeah? So you don't have to um, do a, a massive contribution to the um, to the testing community. You don't have to write a book for this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the simple things, and this is so wonderful to. Uh, to share and to see the reactions when people receive this award and say, well, thank you so much, and it made my day, and it it brightened my day. And this is just wonderful to help uh, people have a positive view on the day and on their careers and on the things they did. Yeah, as you say, it's it's small things that, that really do do provide value. Uh, I am the fortunate recipient myself of an award, thank, thanks to yourself uh, for for my my uh, contribution to this podcast, and also uh, several previous guests you you have nominated for their for their appearance and their contribution. And uh, I massively appreciate it because, as you say, it's not a zero sum game. You, you're not nominating at the expense of other people. This is a a, a community uh, initiative that is ongoing. And uh, I'll put a link in the uh, show notes to the Test of the Day website where you can see the Hall of Fame and also the nomination form for putting someone forward and yeah, if you listen to this i really recommend have a click think about someone in testing who has, has made uh, your life easier recently and just give them a, a little thank you through the test of the day form but as we move towards the point of wrapping up we have your fifth and final song choice today thomas so my fifth song is go by a band called livingston we discovered Livingston, I guess, in 2010, perhaps, um, when they opened for a German band called Zelig and the uh, band Sunrise Avenue, that you might know. And their passion and their energy on stage was wonderful. And uh, we, we bought their uh, EP that was out at this time, and we bought all their albums. They crowdfunded an album. And uh, I really like this, uh, this band and their uh, songs. And yeah, they just did wonderful music. And I always hoped that they would have a a major breakthrough. Unfortunately, um, they broke up, I guess. So I haven't heard much of them in the last years. And uh, this song, Go, got important for me in 2018 uh, because it was the song that uh, my whole family uh, listened to and, and sang along with in the car. So my wife and I obviously uh, knew the lyrics completely and my older daughter um, sang a bit more and my younger daughter was just going with go uh, whenever it was time to to say so. 
So there are wonderful memories of uh, us four driving in the car, singing along to the song in with all the things we could sing. That was Livingston with Go, the fifth and final song choice today by Thomas Rinko on the podcast. The other thing you could bring to the Desert Island with you, Thomas, is one book, or in your case, one collection of books. Uh, a lot of people have used this as a loophole. <laughs> Which, What book or book series are you bringing with you? So it's uh, the Millennium Tri uh, Trilogy by Stieg Larsson. Uh, which has some kind of uh, testing uh, background for me as well, because it was the trilogy I was recommended by a uh, tester I met in South Africa when I was uh, giving a workshop there. And it was uh, a wonderful experience going to South Africa and then um, getting a, a lift from a, a tester who uh, came from Hamburg in Germany. And um, he fetched us at the airport and, and greeting us with a um, very Nordic moin. And it was just an awkward experience of being in South Africa and having this uh, Hamburg uh, greeting. So it was really good. I had a really good time there. And yeah, he recommended uh, those books. And it's uh, one of the few books, uh, book series I actually uh, read completely. And uh, yeah, I really in, enjoy those books, although, of course, the, the topic is a bit dark sometimes, uh, but it's, uh, uh, it's a wonderful um, yeah, perspective on uh, it's a uh, wonderful crime story. Well, when you're on the desert island, sometimes it will be nice to get the feeling that there are people who have it worse than you. So maybe actually it's a, a bit of escapism to go, actually, my island's, my island's not too bad. The, the crime rate on the desert island is very, very low. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and it's, it's great to hear a story about yeah, traveling and being at a conference. It, it, it seems like so long ago now that these, these things have happened. I, I certainly have shared some great uh, train rides and car rides with, with, with fellow testers. And I'm looking forward to, to doing so again soon. This is where I would normally ask um, what you've got coming up. Uh, have you got anything conference-wise in the near future? So I will uh, most likely be at the Agile Testing Days in Potsdam in November. So it's not yet booked, but uh, I'm in the final stages. I need to decide on the uh, days I will actually participate. But this will be a, a good opportunity, hopefully, uh, to meet me in person. And otherwise, you can uh, contact me on Twitter, uh, probably also on the Ministry of Testing Slack. And uh, yeah, that's it, how to get in touch. Fantastic. And in terms of the podcast, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Tessa's Island, which I think is the first time in about four episodes that I've remembered to mention our Twitter account. It, it's there in the outro as well. <laughs> it's, it's not the end of the world. Uh, there are plenty of other resources in the show notes, including links to our Goodreads collection, where you can see all the books that previous guests have selected. You can also find a link to the Spotify playlist that contains all of Thomas's songs and all the songs of the other 48 guests that came before him. Which brings us up to the end of episode 49 with number 50 on the horizon. Thank you very much for taking the time out uh, this evening to talk to me, Thomas. Once again, thank you for having me. Uh, and I, again, a double thank you for spreading the word about the podcast. And uh, I've got the feeling that there's a Tester of the Day nomination coming your way from myself sometime soon. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. 
and for all you lovely listeners thank you very much for coming along to your tester of the day in my heart uh, we'll be back again next month for episode 50 it's going to be an interesting time because uh, richard bradshaw has announced that most of the ministry of testing team will be off in august so we might be doing something special um stay tuned um i'll say no more it may, may or may not come off uh, but uh, catch you all on the airwaves soon uh, look after yourselves and thank you again thomas thank you and i'll speak to you all again next month bye bye Testers on Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.